Now entering the Bitcoin Podcast Network. Everybody, it's host number 2D. Usually Cello brings us in, but I'm bringing us in. Because we got a special episode that we're kind of dropping on you guys today. Um, as you've heard, and we've been teasing you uh, <laughs> for the last few weeks, of uh, sparking up a trading show on the network. And today, this episode, we wanted to introduce you to um, who will be running that show and why you should tune in every single time you see that show, hit your feed, uh, and get those awesome audible goodies, um, that information about trading, and hopefully the best trades ever, and you're going to make a lot of moolah with the trades. There's going to be a lot of disclaimers, though, so you guys can't say anything about us. But anyways, without further ado, I'd like the man to introduce himself. And then we can just kind of take it from there. Okay. Yeah, my name is Jason Jenkins, and um, I started Jenkins Risk Management last year with my partner Ritas and uh, Alec, and both of which are on the on the the line here with us today. Um, but yeah, a little bit about my background. I'm from Colorado originally. I moved to South Florida in 2008 to trade. Uh, U.S. Treasuries. I ran a uh, rates desk where we uh, basically covered all the primary dealers, a lot of large hedge funds, uh, buy side firms. And where I carved out my niche is we have a what we call our top down directional model. Um, it's a trading model and a process that I built over 10 years of trading on the fixed income side. And What's great about our model is um, it's technical, but we really focus on another part of analysis, which we can talk about, which is which I'm very passionate about and excited about. And that's kind of getting into this area called cyclical analysis. Um, uh, traditionally, a lot of old Wall Street's been always been very focused on the fundamentals and valuation. And then pretty much in the 80s came along technical analysis and uh, 
the individuals that taught me the business um, were all Chicago Board of Trade guys, and they uh, they transitioned to the screens, um, but they made a lot of money, did well in the 80s when futures were just coming onto the market uh, in, in, as far as interest rates go, interest rate products. And um, back in those days, I mean, you had to convince people what technical analysis was and what it meant to be a, a technician. And then today, I mean, things have progressed where everyone pretty much has that that tool set. Um, everyone kind of professes to be their own technician, which is great. Um, so there's a lot of, you know, there's so many indicators out there. There's so many different um, tools and tactics, and a lot of people have their different models. Um, but that's that's the technical analysis field, right? And then I think this next wave that's kind of going to go through, um, um, you know, just kind of it's going to evolve is this idea of cyclical analysis and that's understanding time and that's understanding cycles. Um, so that's what we do. We have a, we have, um, we do some analysis for, uh, institutions and individuals. And then we do a lot of education and teaching. We have courses. I basically teach the model. And then we have a select team that we trade together every day. We trade the Forex markets. We have a prop firm there. Um, and then most recently we've moved into the, uh, the crypto space, which is um, the most exciting market I've I've seen, and I think the opportunities are just amazing. It's it's a market that's really moving. Um, the tail end of my fixed income career is really pretty miserable. I mean, there's still a lot of people trading. Uh, you know, I, I covered all the you know the biggest of the big. So on on the rates desk, you know, muni's guys, corporate traders. Um, and the fixed income world just changed a lot. So um, <clears throat> we can talk about the differences, but that's a little bit about me. I, I actually started in the business of Charles Schwab on the equity and options side. So I've traded a little bit of everything, but spent the last 10 years really on the institutional level. And, and then we, I wanted to bring that same experience and bring it to the independent, um, independent investor and trader. So that's a little bit about what we do now. Good deal. Reed is and Alec, do you guys want to introduce yourselves? It's part of the team that's working with us. Yeah, uh, yeah, I'll go ahead and introduce myself. Uh, you know, I'm Alec Shubsnees. Uh, you know, I've been trading forex and futures, you know, independently for a few years now. You know, I joined the JRM team. You know, as right as the crypto markets really started to blow up, you know, I hopped on board and I dove headfirst right into the uh, the blockchain space. You know, I've been hooked trading crypto pretty much ever since. Hmm. Has it been fruitful? Yeah. Yeah. Alex, <laughs> Alex the, um, he's the whiz behind the scenes, man. When I try to figure out when we were trying to originally learn a cold storage and, you know, how to, how to trade between exchanges, he's always my go to guy on that. <clears throat> yeah. It's such an exciting, exciting space. Rita, do you yeah, want to give us a little bit of that bio? Sure. Uh, this is Rita's. Um, Jason's partner, uh, Jason's partner in the firm. Uh, I've been uh, trading for a long time. Uh, give away my age. I actually was a registered broker back in the '80s in Chicago for for uh, a small time. Uh, been interested in trading pretty much all my life. Uh, I went another route. Actually, ran a, another successful financial services company for about 20 years. Got back heavy in the trading world probably about six years ago. Uh, partnered up with Jason and 
And I know I'm his partner here in the business, but I've never met anyone that's ever traded like him all my life. So you you guys are lucky to have him on a show and get his advice. So you guys make sure and tune in when he's on. Oh, for sure. Oh, they're going to what? So I'm curious. You kept saying fixed income and I'm not that familiar with trading. I trade cryptocurrencies. That's how I could even consider myself somewhat of a trader at all. That was a couple of years back now. But what's the difference? What's the main difference between, I guess you call it fixed income and the crypto markets? Sure. Yeah, that's a good question. Um, well, I, I would say they're, the products and the obviously the asset class is where the big differences are. As far as kind of how we trade, um, uh, what's nice about our model is we really, I really broke it down to trying to study the energy flow within the market. So a lot of what we do in our model is kind of based on uh, physics or some of the properties and things that happen in thermodynamics. So uh, we peel back, I call that the origins of our model, but what's nice about it is whether it's a five minute chart or one minute chart, it's kind of the same patterns and um, cycles that exist. And it's just, what it really comes down to is this energy, everything, the way energy travels, I mean, the way the light travels from the sun is in a cyclical wave formation. Um, you know, the cycles are all around us. So we've just kind of identified those cycles and patterns. And um, it actually, uh, it's a fractal model, meaning those, those, those patterns, they exist on the 15-minute chart. They also exist on a monthly level. So we've taken that same What's nice about the model is you can not only just trade, you can take it to any chart. So you can trade futures on oil. We trade it the same way. We trade the model the same way we trade gold or um, S&P futures. Um, and the same way I traded, you know, the cash tenure, uh, we, we, trade, we trade Bitcoin or Ethereum using the charts and the cycles and the patterns the same way. As far as, I guess, what's different, I mean, obviously... Uh, you know, crypto space, what's fascinating is it's just an entirely new asset class. So um, it's just, I think it reminds me of maybe when the future started in um, in the 80s and that those markets in Chicago were absolutely just going crazy. I mean, the amount of money that people were making there at the board, um, it was just, I mean, people were when futures first came out, you could make $6 a turn. So there was people filling orders and making $60,000 on uh, one customer trade standing in the pit. So that was, that was in the eighties. That's when interest rates actually peaked. And now here we have an asset class that was born out of the financial crisis in 2008. And what's, I guess what's really exciting about it is the fact that even if the digital crypto space if it just captures a small fraction of the world's monetary um, system, right? All the trillions that float around there in, um, in the currency markets from the yen, dollar, euro, et cetera. If digital cur- you know, cryptocurrencies, whether it's Bitcoin or it could be another coin, if it just captures a small percentage of that, of that, mar- you know, of that market share, I mean, the opportunities are just amazing. So I think we're on the verge of a, an entirely new monetary system, entirely new financial um, shift here. That's will probably be probably never see anything like it in our lifetimes. Really, oh, speaking the right language to the right audience. So I, uh, <laughs> I, uh, 
I was I want to bring it back a little bit to to your model and, and its origin stories because my background is before I got into cryptocurrency. I got my PhD mm-hmm. in chemical physics, so like the, the 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 origin story of how you trade is interesting. What happened? Yeah, in physics, which is what I don't think well, a lot of people get, is that nature behaves in some strange way, and then we as scientists basically find mathematical models that mathematicians have created that fit the way that nature is behaving and gives us prediction power on how it might behave later on down the line. And the models that give us the best prediction powers are the ones that end up becoming laws and so forth in the scientific field. And what you're saying is that you found that some of those laws and principles that we use to describe and predict nature are actually allowing you to describe and predict what I would call irrational human markets in the trading world. Is that true? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you, you could, I'm sure you could teach me a lot um, on the physics side of, you know, I'm just, I'm just a simple hockey player from Colorado, but I did a pretty good job of kind of observing markets and going down a lot of dead ends of what works and what doesn't work in trading and blowing up several accounts and, all the, you know, all the learning and all the mistakes you make as a trader, you know, ends up costing you money. And it's, it's very, it's tough to keep coming back and keep trying and trying to figure out what you can do better. But along the way, yeah, I just started, I was always kind of fascinated with cycles and then that kind of leads you into physics. I mean, when a, when a stock chart or, you know, Bitcoin's had several moves like this where it basically goes vertical. And so, um, they call that a phase transition, right? In physics and in thermodynamics, um, you you reach a certain point, um, the entropy entropy point, and the same way that heat and uh, different states will move from a solid to a gas, you have that. If you if you chart that explosion, right, that phase transition, it's a vertical move, and it's the same thing that happens in markets. It does not just Bitcoin, but you can see. Anytime a market just goes vertical like that, it's usually the same distance in time and then the retracement or the re- the return um, to earth, I guess. <laughs> Equilibrium or what it would be. Yeah, exactly. So there's a lot of parallels like that. Um, I mean, we've just uh, oscillations, If you, you know, the uh, equations of motion. Um, I'm big on oscillators. We don't, we don't use, like we use a, a stochastic indicator, a slow stochastic, and I don't like to use it for overbought, oversold. A lot of people trade it that way. What we like to do is, is use it as an, uh, like a metronome or a pendulum swing through time. And so that, that oscillation gives you a good cycle or a good rhythm. And that helps you with your timing. So <clears throat> we'll do that a lot. On the 15-minute and 30-minute charts when we're day trading, we, we really pay attention to that oscillation. Um, but, yeah, no doubt. I mean, it's it's fascinating. If you're just – if you just – I mean, to stare at charts all day long, it's kind of gets old. But when you get into the the physics and studying energy, I mean, even even gravity, they just recently discovered moves in waves, which is, which is just wild if you think about it, really. <laughs> you know? Yeah, definitely. I can, I can imagine that could make – that that would for me personally it makes trading a lot more fun to try and apply those models and see how it how it how well it behaves how well the market like it works within those scientific models. Yeah, it's um 
yeah, it's something we're passionate about. We try to get better at it every day. Um, well, arguably, when you said you've you've gone through a lot of uh, difficulties, blown up a lot of accounts, and made a lot of, I guess, learned a lot of lessons. That is, that's the hallmark of an expert. I mean, an expert is somebody who knows what not to do, as opposed to everything, like knows everything to do. You've gone through a lot of lessons on what not to do, which allows you to kind of make better decisions sometimes that other people just don't have the experience to make. Yeah, that's certainly true. I mean, it's there's a lot of days where and make a lot of money and then give it back and um, just love, give it back. Know, I like that. <laughs> um, <laughs> give it back. <laughs> good way of putting it. The emotional swings can be pretty pretty wild, but um. You give us a story, like what's one day where you like, where you felt like King Midas, like you just made all the right calls and you felt like a king. Have you had days like that? Yeah. I mean, I, I had a couple days when I just moved, I worked out of a couple different broker dealers in, in Boca Raton and I had just moved over to a new shop and, uh, I was running the rates desk. I had two junior guys trading with me. And I used to get I used to get up for the London open. So I'd leave my house at like 215, 230. And I'd drive into the office and I would trade. You know, I'd be the only one there, turn all the lights on. And I would just trade London for a couple hours and I'd usually go to the uh LA fitness down the street, come back, and then usually everybody else was getting in. So there would be, I remember one day <clears throat> I traded really well in London. I mean, I sat down and I was probably up like eight grand, you know, by 5 a.m. or something, trading the long bond, which is a 30 year futures contract. Uh, I was trading cash actually. So it's, but it's the, that's the long end of what they call the treasury curve. It's the 30 year treasury bond. And then come in and, um, with the gym came back and everybody's just getting in the office and it's days like that where you're already having a nice day you're up you know eight ten thousand bucks and then um i remember one particular day we had a it was right around that flash crash we had in the nasdaq i don't know if you guys remember that like apple went down to like i think apple split sense but they had a crazy move right everybody was all over cnbc um we had one of those like that in the 30 year in the treasury market and i think i went from up like eight or ten to down sixteen thousand on on that day mm. but the sucky part was i could have been done trading you know at at seven in the morning um just when everybody else was getting in the office and i could just relax and worked on other things but i wanted i i was kind of at a period where i was pressing and i teach my traders this it's um it tends to happen with traders is they'll sell into, let's just say you're, you're short something, right? And you're, and you think something's breaking down. Um, what a lot of traders tend to do is they are novice traders or amateur traders, even professional traders. They're not quite sure what to do. And then when they see new lows, they, it looks like it's going to just keep collapsing. And what tends to happen is traders will sell into what we call lower lows and it's a form of pressing. So, when you're up in the trade, you're making money. It looks like this thing's going to collapse and keep going lower. You end up shorting more. And I was just at a period where I kept doing that. And I didn't really realize I was doing it. I was, I would always sell into these lower lows. 
getting more aggressive because, you know, I was making, as you kind of progress, you kind of want to go, go to the next level. So you have days where you're making one to 2000, then you have days where you're trying to make $5,000 a day. And then I was trying to push for like 10 or 15 being up eight or, or so. And I kept, I would just keep selling in the lows. And what would happen is I'd bring my average cost way down and then the market would reverse. And what was frustrating is that I would trade all, all day or sometimes all morning, you know, and I'd leave the office in New York close at five and then be down like 10 or 16,000. I've had a couple of days like that and it's just, it's tough, but that process you, what you do is you go back and go, man, why does this keep happening? Like I could have been done for the day and then I end up pressing, trying to go for more and then you end up giving it back. Um, and really when you're up that amount, you should never go back in the negative on the day. But that was just a place where I was when I was pressing. So then that, that in that process, we, I, I went back in my trading journal and wrote down things. Okay. Why do I keep doing this? And you look at what you're doing and the first step is you got to be aware of it. And then once it's in your consciousness that you're aware of it, you gotta go, okay. Oh, I see what I keep doing. Why do I keep doing this? Okay. Let me structure a rule in my trading plan that I don't do this. So now my traders hear me say it all the time. Like we always take profit on lower lows. We don't hit down lower lows. Just like if a market's rising, we don't chase higher highs. So my traders know like when Bitcoin just recently, when we broke through 3000, um, we were taking profit into 4,000 to 4,500. So that was a new higher high. So I think just little things like that. Um, but I've, yeah, I've had those days or I've had days where I've been long 200 million tens and the computer screens go down and you have no idea where your position is. You turn, you know, you, you turn the internet comes back up and you're down 60 grand in like, you know, two seconds. It's just, you know, you scrambling to call Jeez. you got to figure out how to hedge yourself. So, so like just to piggyback on that. You know, give because you give our listeners like a word of advice on how to bottle your emotions and stick with the techniques. Like, because obviously, you just mentioned losing 60 grand in a few moments, and that to some people would just be like a devastation. And I take it if they're going to be listening to this show and they're going to be actually actively learning the things you're putting forward, they're going to have some days where they lose. Some money, or sorry, not give it back. Where they where they give it back to the to the ecosystem. Yeah. So, what's like an emotional tip you could give them right now? Oh, well, I think that's one of the big parts of trading. Really, is, and that's one of the things I love about it is it's a game and it's a it's a process where you kind of got to go within yourself. Um, as a trader, you kind of always got to work and and work on the emotional process and the psychology. Kind of back to what I was saying um, at the start of the call, there's fundamental analysis, technical analysis. We try to teach a lot on the cyclical analysis, trying to pave the way on, way on that a little bit. But then there's a whole other part called mental analysis, I call that. And that's, that's the whole psychology of trading and dealing with your emotions. Um, that's one of my favorite topics, too. We, we, we spend a lot of time doing, working on that. Um, simple things like um, when you're trading, you kind of have to you kind of have to be aware that there's an ego involved, 
And a lot of times people let their ego trade. Um, they get into scenarios, oh man, I know this is going to double, this market's going to go here for X, Y reasons, I know it's got to go higher, you know, I know this, this, this particular time is different, this thing's going to rip, right? Well, that's my style. <laughs> right? um, and you see it a lot in the crypto space because it's kind of like the dot-com boom, it's 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 different in a lot of ways, but there's that there's so much movement, volatility, and there's so much money being made and big swings. It's a lot of emotion. Um, but what we try to do is remove the ego and just trade the process and the model. So it kind of let the kind of think of let the model drive, and it's not about what I think. Um, if when I listen to a trader, if I hear them talking just listening to them. If it's, I think this, or I think that, or I, I, it's all the ego. That's really not trading what's reality. So we have a, something we, we call trading in the now and trying to trade what is. And that's something I, I kind of go back and forth with people that are all bent up about valuation is that you can never know all the fundamentals. It's just impossible. I mean, I don't care what market you're talking about. If you're a CEO of a mining company and you want to talk to me about the iron ore market, well, you've probably been in the business your entire life. You know everything about the iron ore market, but there's no way to know all the fundamentals because you don't know what the weather's going to bring. You don't know what country's going to do, what government's going to change the rules. It's just, there's so many things on the fundamental side that you can never know everything. But you don't really need to know everything when you trade in the now. What the problem with people trying to scenario build is it, it builds this false sense of reality in your mind and the psychology, this is the psychology part of trading that when you project something's going to happen right way out in the future, and it doesn't matter the market, this is true in trading. It's just human psychology that if you project and you, and you make up in your mind, what's this particular asset is going to go to this price or this is going to happen. You'll, you'll, what you'll end up doing is you'll block out all the information that the market's trying to tell you right now. So what tends to happen is if the, if the uptrend breaks down, the person that fixes in their mind that this thing has to go where I think it's going to go, you'll start to ignore the fact that you broke a higher low and that the intermediate term trends is rolling over or the long-term trends breaking and you're refusing to either admit it, see it, um, and there's a lot of danger in that because traders will get fixed in their projection of what they think is going to happen and they'll keep buying more and they'll get stubborn in their conviction. I see it a lot on you know, the professional community. You have a lot of very smart individuals that um, have a hard time trading because they have a hard time admitting they're wrong because they, in their mind, they, they scenario build this situation where they have, they're so smart. They're right all the time. They know it's the market's going to go there. And then they, what they do is that you just end up blocking out all the information. So I always tell my guys, we try not to scenario build. We try to be very, what we try to do is be very rigid in our process, but very flexible in our expectations. So when we buy something like Ripple or Ethereum, I mean, I, I have we will anticipate a little bit and have an idea of where we think something can trade to, but we're very flexible in the fact that anything can happen. So, I mean, I, we have no problem changing our mind. If, if this particular point on the chart breaks, 
Um, it just is what it is. So we'll get out, cut our risk. Uh, we don't trade the crypto market on the short side, but that's something that sometimes we'll flip and go short in Forex markets. Um, but that's a whole, that's a whole other topic. That's the psychology of trading is really where most people should spend more time, to be honest. I have a, Definitely. I have an interesting kind of – because yeah. you're so technical in how you're trading, you know, basically a model, you move the ego from that model and you focus on fundamentals. I was, I'd be curious to know, particularly within the crypto community, how much does, does overall sentiment and media play a role in price action? Like it, okay. in, in your opinion, because it's such a low, relatively no market cap, low market cap, and things move so – volatile and i'd say the majority of the price um backing right now is through trader speculation how much yeah. of this like how how much of the volatility is due to pure sentiment yeah i think i think that's a good great question i think there's a lot of that going on i think more so than i mean you look at the bond market is very um it's 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 not really covered as much on the news. Um, it's a totally different language in itself, but it's just a, rates being so low. There's very little risk taking going on in fixed income. Um, and then when I look at the crypto space, that's the complete opposite. There's a lot of new people to trading that are getting involved, um, and it just has that excitement about it that it's capturing the headlines. Um, it's disrupting all kinds of industry, right? So, I mean, you just look at the SEC doesn't know, you know, what how to categorize it yet. The government's behind the curve on trying to figure out, you know, how to screw that up. <laughs> 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 um, but I'll, I'll tell you, as far as the trading goes, yeah, what you can do is you got to be aware of that type of sentiment. So. You can even like we we would watch CNBC or Bloomberg and not, you know, the average person when they're new to trading, they'll watch that stuff and they trade based on what they see in the headlines and things. As a professional trader, the, really the only reason that we really even watch something like CNBC is just because they get a feel for, you know, if Bitcoin has a huge run and by the time everybody on the news starts talking about it, it hits the media headlines, you know, that's that's the point where you want to be taking profit into those types of events. So you use that sentiment and you use those headlines to take advantage, use those as catalysts to take advantage of them. But, you know, from a timing perspective, what a lot of new people do is they don't, they weren't buying into 1800 on Bitcoin like we were, right? Everyone was fearful of the four coming up and they weren't buying into the sell-off they are chasing the new highs above 3000. And so what tends to happen where a lot of new traders get burned and I've done this, this is exactly how I started out is you're not sure what to do down at 1800. You're not sure what to do at 2000. Then, Oh, you wish you would have bought. Now it's up at 3000. You don't want to buy it. Cause that's the old high. It goes through 3000 and then it's all over the headlines. And now you finally buy, you know, <laughs> and it's those headlines where you kind of want to be on the opposite of that. So, you know, as the professionals do, it's buy the rumors, sell the news. So by the time you you see these headlines that are that are hitting the tape, or as they call it, you know, that you see come across the headlines, when you start to see those, you know, those points where it's getting a little euphoric, 
hopefully you're already long and you want to be using those points to take profit into those, those, those kind of emotional, um, you know, pockets, I guess. Does that make sense? Yeah. Basically when it's hitting the news and everyone's getting excited, you should be looking to exit. But you already made the trade. Right. That's ideally, you know, um, I don't think I don't think the crypto market's a space where you want. I mean, it's very difficult to short already. The market's still developing, but I don't think this is a space you want to be shorting because the volatility is just enormous. But yeah, that's exactly right. I mean, when things get really overbought and everybody, it's all over the news, then you normally, typically, that's a market that's already it's already had its move. Um, but the the sentiment is playing a huge role. I mean, it's really moving the price so. Again, though, we try not to we try not to really trade the headlines. We're focused on our process and our model, and a lot of times the headlines and things will will move the market at, into places where it's kind of the catalyst for us to act. Um, but that's that's a definitely a big part of trading is kind of learning to get a feel for that sentiment. And uh, good deal. Yeah. Well, obviously, you know. What from what I take away from this talk that that we've had is that you have a like endless well of knowledge when it comes to trading, and our listeners are in for a real treat, just like you said, Rius. So, yeah. Any, well, if I can add value, that would be the goal. I mean, it's just kind of my craft and my passion. I've been spent a lot of time in the chair, staring at screens, and in trades. So. I'm happy to help. That's kind of why I started the firm. So I'm excited. I'm happy to work with you guys and the network and everything. Yeah. Thank you for, for wanting to use our network as a platform to kind of, you know, get at, to add that value, like you said. So, yeah, you guys kind of like, go ahead. You guys have built a great little network. Yeah. So, um, you know, thank you for glad you like it. You, You can curse on our network too. Strict like that. You do whatever you want. You can let it rip. You can do whatever you want. Yeah, you guys tell me a little bit about um, how you started the podcast, the vision you had. <laughs> That's a funny story. Cello, you want to chime in on this story? The origins yeah, you like, of you like telling the podcast. Us uh, I would, but I'm babysitting a two year old right now, so I'm gonna let Corey or Dee handle it. Yeah. But Ophelia, tell us. No I'm kidding. Wait, do, do you guys hear my TV in the background? I don't hear anything. I think you had to right. it. All right, then I'll go. Um, so me and D, we were D introduced me into Bitcoin in December 2014, I think. You want to tell them that story? How that happened? Were we at like a house party or something? Yeah, we were at a house party. Everybody's talking about football and girls, and this guy over here is talking about internet money. And I was the only one who was paying attention because I, I guess I'm to just you, but everyone was in the circle. It was pretty funny. Oh, so, okay. Well, your intended audience was listening then. So I, I picked up what he was putting down, and we left the party or left the get-together and immediately went to his house and just started looking at charts and crypto, and I was pretty much sucked in. And uh, we realized that everyone in our town basically was ignoring us, so we decided to tell everybody on the internet. Uh, so we came up with this uh, podcast idea, and we were bewildered that nobody took the Bitcoin podcast as a URL. So we just thought it was too much of an opportunity to pass up. Yeah. And uh, I ran it by a mutual friend of ours, Corey, who 
uh, he he remembers it differently, but I remember pitching it to him, and he said no. <laughs> and then and then Demetric pitched him the same pitch, and he said yes. So it's all about how. It's I think it's all how. about the how. Yeah. <laughs> so you're saying one's a better salesman than the other, huh? Oh, definitely. I get to, I get to I get to chime in here now. So <laughs> I initially introduced D. Me and D lived together uh, in college for what five years or so. Um, yeah, four and a half, five years, something like that. And I got into this because while I was doing my PhD, uh, because I, I work in distributed high performance computing at the time, and internet money and how it worked was fascinating to me. Computational science problem that was being solved. And then I wanted to get into mining and all this other stuff. So I kept pitching D like, you should look into this. This is going to be something. And finally, he's like, he got convinced. And then he told people. And then he would con- finally convince Cello of the same thing. Cello, like later on down the line, we went through a mining phase where we built some rigs and mined some Litecoin and, you know, <laughs> our, transferred that over to Bitcoin to hold and things like that and played around. And over once that was over, we were trying to find ways to... I guess, be a part of the community that took advantage of all of our different outlooks. Like I'm a, I was a computational scientist at the time. D had just graduated with his math degree and was, in, was teaching high school. Cello has been a graphic designer and marketer for a long time. He's got a long history of kind of dealing with that side of things. And we figured why not kind of put a podcast together that allows us to, sorry, not we, I'm going to take, I'm going to take a step back there they came up with the idea of putting a podcast together. And when they pitched it to me, when Cello first pitched it to me, he basically said, Hey man, we're going to do a podcast and like left it at that. And I was like, Oh, <laughs> awesome. That's, uh, I'm, that sounds great. That's like, y- y'all could really do a podcast. Cause I've been listening to Joe Rogan. I'm really into kind of the idea of anyone can do a podcast. It's not that hard if you just put the work in. And I didn't realize that he wanted me to be a part of it initially. And then D basically said hey man we're gonna do a podcast we want you to be a part of it and i was like oh awesome let's do yeah it. <laughs> so it was like 24 hour changeover until i was like wait i just asked him and he said no and i was like i don't know he told me yes <laughs> so <laughs> and then we just started learning how to make podcasts and like you said we, we screwed up a yeah. lot along the way and now we know what we're doing yep Sounds Ophelia like is in a lot of our shows. That's Ophelia. Oh. <laughs> yeah, I'm the most um, professional, unprofessional guy ever. Sorry. <laughs> yeah, I'm just kind of like you guys have known each other for a while. Then. Oh yeah. Yeah, that it's actually unique how we. So I I've known Marcello since we were seven years old. Uh-huh. Um, and we've been best friends since. Just playing video games, football, kicking it. And Cello meets Corey. This is this is crazy. Cello meets Corey on like an online forum before online forums were okay, like cool. Like some sort of weird website, like Zanga. blogging website. Zanga was the website. Zanga. 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 Zanga okay. was a very different. So, so then later in life, when I'm in college, I actually meet Corey playing halo 2 like in real life so cello and Corey knew each other via the internet before i met Corey in real life which is always just this crazy weird story to tell that is crazy but 
yeah, it's just bananas how small the world is. But, um, yeah, and I'm just kind of the guy, like like Corey said, I graduated a math degree, but I'm just that guy that once I finally see how something clicks, then I just have to tell the world. It doesn't matter how big or small it is. Like, like the McRib, you just don't get it. Like, it's the pickles that make the sandwich. And they're like, what? I got to try that shit. He said it's the pickles. So, like, you know, it's just... And so once Corey told me once about Bitcoin earlier in that year, and I was like, screw that monopoly money. What and then he was like, in the, huh? What year was that? This was 2012, beginning okay. of 2012. Okay. So when I had money laying around and I could have made a grip, but I didn't because I was just like, nah, I don't know about that monopoly money, man. I played <laughs> monopoly before. The bank always wins mystically but um then he showed it to me again but he went a little bit deeper into the technicals into the mining and into uh you know the double spending problem how it solves that and into consensus and all the like the details and then when it clicked i had to just tell the world and i spent like two weeks attempting to uh but cello listened and now we have the network so that's a good story. I kind of had the same experience. We were on the desk. I think it was probably 2010. And, you know, as traders, everybody has their opinion. Um, but we were pretty amazed by the moves it was having. And it was starting to get some attention, you know, on the financial, in the financial media. But I did the same thing. It was like, I'm pretty skeptical in general as it comes to business or trading in general and i was like you know what but that thing really moves i mean that's what i liked is the volatility is and and i went to try to figure out how to buy it and this probably was 2010 too i don't even remember the price it's probably something stupid like 200 bucks looking it up right now <laughs> no <laughs> those are the days and uh i couldn't figure it out and so i got frustrated in the process I'm like man if you, is this hard to buy it forget it it's not gonna work and then I think I was actually trying to buy through Mount Gox. And so I think I, I probably lucked out on that one. It was, the price was low, but I probably would have <laughs> would have lost it all. Because <laughs> mm. um, that was Mount Gox that went down, right? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, Magic the Gathering online exchange. Wow. <laughs> Things have come pretty far. Yeah. but It is wild. But it's something to learn every I – mean, you guys could – you can teach me a lot. I, I I try to learn the technical details. Alex is pretty good about it. Um, well, I, I now that you're Alex, yeah, go ahead, D. I was just I was gonna say something lofty, but you go ahead if you got a question. Yeah, mm -hmm. it, was, it was. Uh, so I'm curious from a, like from your perspective, like being accustomed to the tools of allowing traders to trade, and then finding out about the crypto space, like what what was your experience in trying to figure out how this stuff works and then providing similar tools for traders to make trades so that they can do things in a secure manner? Like exchanges work very differently. 24 hour yeah. markets, how you hold your money is differently. The timing is definitely differently in terms of like, there's no T plus three in terms of uh -huh. getting your money and stuff. Like how is, how, how is that different? Yeah. that's good Yeah. Point. I mean, I, I think you really just have to look a little bit longer term in your trading I mean, the limitations right now, you know, as they are with the exchanges and you were talking, I mean, it's not easy to, uh, you know, intraday, day trade as much as you would in like a Forex or futures market. Uh, I know, Jason, you take most of the trades for us. 
I mean, <clears throat> we, we, we try to stick to a little bit longer term than we would if we're dealing with Forex or, or futures. Yeah. You know, so the speed that it comes with day trading, I mean, obviously, since markets and have moved away from the floor trading to the screens, it just keeps getting faster. The spreads come in tighter, you know, um, the commissions go down, which is all good. Um, but that execution isn't quite there on the crypto side yet. So you try to get in and get out and like a, on a quick trade on any type of size is a little bit clunky still. Um, so most of our trading we've done over what we call, you know, the swing time frame. So several hours and several days. And then we've, what we've been doing is I'm big into trading what's called a core position. So you hold a position overnight or, but the idea is a core position is you're going to take a position bullish or bearish in this case, bullish. I mean, we're bullish on the entire space. So all our positions are long, but, um, and you hold that and you hold that position. The idea is you're going to hold that core piece for several years, really, maybe even a lifetime. It's kind of the way I kind of try to think about things. And then, but at different points within the intermediate term trend, you want to get heavier and you want to lighten up. So in other words, you want to add to your position. Sometimes you want to be more aggressive. Sometimes you want to lighten up or take profit. And we call that trading around a core position. Um, it's really helpful when you, when you kind of learn that style, it's much easier to stay in positions longer. Um, um, just little techniques here and there, but that that's kind of how we're trading. So it, it's still, it's still developing. I mean, I, it's tough for me to like see a, a coin that we like, like, uh, the internet of things one iota. Yeah. You know, it'd be nice if it was on Bittrex. It's not. So then you got to open up another account. That's been a process. Sometimes it's really tough to get open with these accounts. It takes forever to open up a new account. Just it's tough to tr try to flip between different exchanges when you want to be bullish on something over here and then bearish on something over here. It's almost like they need some sort of token so you could just say that you're a trader and just trade it between the exchanges or something. Yeah. Like, yeah, there's, there, there, there needs to be some more solutions like platforms that make it a little easier. We've, we've come up with a couple ideas that um, we're going to actually probably try to pursue some bigger projects. But what are your guys? Oh, what are your teaser. guys' experience on? Uh, are you are you guys trading mostly through Coinbase? I mean, we've just been trading Bitrix, Coinbase, um, Bitfinex. I'm trying to get, I guess GDAX is trying to be the professional side of Coinbase. So I, I'm trying to get open with them. I've definitely. Yeah. G Go ahead. Like, uh, for the longest you... time, I basically used Poloniex just because, um, I, I don't know. It was, it was easy to get into. I like their, I like the, the, their UI of their platform. They had the coins I wanted and they had a lot of the volume around Ethereum, which was mm -hmm. most important. But now it's not necessarily the case. And what I want to end up trading are things that aren't either aren't held on Poloniex. I mean, I, I even started off on Cripsy, which was garbage. Yeah, Cripsy. And then move to now I kind of move around a few different exchanges. But what's nice about like once you have your accounts on various exchanges, moving in and out of them is really easy. Uh, yeah. In my previous, I guess, small, terrible experience with trading traditional stocks uh, it just it's it's night and day in terms of moving in and out 
and me holding on to the money that I'd like to hold on to, not keeping it on whichever various exchange I'm using at the time. Yeah, that's true. I mean, I when, even when we trade bonds, there's still a huge portion of the world that I mean, yeah, I had my my uh, trade check guy truck trade checkout guy sit behind me, so I did a trade on the screens, or if I did a trade over the phone, or you know, guys send emails and trade that way now. So if I had a client that say, yeah, buy me fifty million tens, if we get down to your level, Jason, on tenure notes, you know, that happened to be a, like par you know, pars a hundred, they say in the bond world, if the mark, so I would put the level on the, I put the order on the screen down at a hundred. If the market trades down there, well, I'd buy 50 million tens. And then I'd turn around and send an email to Deutsche bank that they're filled, you know, and they're going to buy it for me at par the buck plus, which is just essentially like you just marking it up from a hundred a little bit. Um, but then, yeah, I mean, somebody has to get on the phone has to call Deutsche Bank's back office, make sure that they talk to the trader, that they know that the trader, we and I send an email back that we agree on the price, it's 50 million tens. And then we gotta make sure that it settles, you know, like you were saying, T plus three or th that it checks out. And that's a big problem if one trader thinks you bought tens and I bought fives, and then you come in the next day, you're gonna have a really big problem. You can take the whole firm down. Um, but with what's nice about crypto, like you're, like you guys are saying, I mean, it, it is pretty amazing that you can, you can buy something on Coinbase over here and you can send it to Bittrex within minutes and you can be swapping into another asset. I mean, that is pretty amazing. Yeah. That's, that's what I think kind of like made it really, really super quick is the first times I was, I was really using it and sending it around and how fast it was. I was like, wow, this is, so much faster than E-Trade. Yeah. Like, I mean, just so much. I mean, like, read us. We had, we're just trying to send some wires for the business this week. It's taken all week to send a wire. <laughs> you know? That's we, what I'm talking about. See, we're getting, see, that's how I know cryptos. It's got, it's still got so much further to go. Is that you see the use cases and it's just like, yeah, this should it take a week for you to send money from one place to another in 2017? It really shouldn't. Right. It's crazy. It, it should take the blink of an eye. So, yeah. Anyway. Have you guys been using uh, Coinigy charts? You guys use them? Heard of them. Uh, no. Oh, really? I don't know Coinigy. Um, I saw it on your video and it looked interesting, but I do not use Coinigy. I probably might right now. So. Um, yeah, you guys should check them out. They're good. I mean, uh, I just plugged in my some of my accounts to the uh, through their system this week and it was pretty cool so you can actually put orders in on the chart now and I was amazed at this really? yeah you can put a bid in on the chart it's very visual it's very easy I think they're still having a little bit of connection issues but I was I was pretty amazed this is a, I did the first trade Friday yeah yesterday what um, ones do they have on there what's that oh they, what to uh, they have all the tokens or just the main like Bitcoin and ether yeah, no, they have um, on the left. They have all the exchanges, so you even want to, you, yeah, you want to look at a chart or a price of something that's on one of these like Tokyo exchanges. You can you can find them there. I mean, they're all on there. They've spent a lot of time um, gathering data. They put in. I mean, they they really want to make it a big business. They kind of want to be the Bloomberg of the crypto space. But I was just going to share with you guys what was cool is I, you can set up 
SMS. Uh, um, they have an app. So when you put the bid in on the chart, not only can you connect to your exchange like Bittrex, that as soon as that price got down there, I got filled. It marks it on the chart so you can see your trade history. It was really very seamless with Bittrex, like it happened instantly. I was going between the two looking at the prices. But then you can set up for, to send a text to your phone. So I had a bid in actually uh, or an offer in on Bitcoin Cash and I kind of just left it out there. And then I went to play golf and I got a text on my phone that we got filled. It was all it was it was great. <clears throat> I, I mean, that, signed up. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I sense a new sponsorship. <laughs> yeah, we'll be contacting Coinage. No, I'm kidding. Uh, but we will. I'm not kidding at all. So, uh, <laughs> um, well, we need to wrap it up. It's been it's been a long show. Um, congratulations to you, the listeners. You got a double dose of the Bitcoin Podcast Network. So, well, that's if you listen to both of them. It's on demand content now. You can listen whenever you want. So, um, thank you all for stopping by, and thank you all for showing an interest and joining up on the network and really looking forward to, you know, how this grows. I know you all know your stuff. Like that's for sure. There's so many things that you said. I like didn't know what you're talking about, but I didn't want to make this show last hours. So, <laughs> but hopefully I didn't talk too much. So uh, thanks, no. thanks for having, having us on and giving us the intro and the leg up. We really appreciate it. And thanks for everybody that tuned in and, Tune in again. We're happy to help and share, add value, and there's so much to learn in this space. So I got a ton to learn from you guys and the listeners. So I'm looking forward to it. Good deal. Well, that's about it. Play the outro.